like this idea of every culture in its own little bubble that has a right to its own culture and you don't have a right. It's like cultures grow when they come into contact with each other. They learn from each other, but they only learn from each other if you're willing to let them like cross-pollinate, willing to let them share ideas, move and try new things. And that's how you learn about other people and get empathy for people that aren't like you. Hello everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Feeding Curiosity. I'm your host, Eric Wenzel, as always. Feeding Curiosity is a podcast all about exploring the precarious human experience, and we challenge each and every one of us to think, question, and synthesize wherever your curiosity takes you. In today's episode, we are joined by Joe Jakowski, a longtime guest on the show and one of my closest friends, as you returning to the show probably know already. In this episode, we kind of recap Joe's summer, or at least the recent going-ons of what he's been up to, and we touch on a leadership summit where Joe went to uh, Boston and had some cross like ideas and visions for what you want to do for your local chapters for the coming year. And one of the goals out of that was a cross-pollination with other groups on campus to have joint volunteer opportunities across U of M. We also touch on Joe's upcoming thesis research, which will be centered around language analysis and generic U within the veteran community, and some trepidation about taking Japanese for a grade in last semester, which kind of transitions into a broad, broader discussion around Japanese culture and why Joe values it and why he even took Japanese in the first place. And we end our conversation with some discussion on power, power dynamics and where um, we kind of project symbology onto people where we take abstract symbols of what we've experienced or what our culture values and kind of project them too far forward and become blindsided by seeing a world that's oversimplified. And as always, these conversations are enlightening and we go pretty deep onto certain things. So if you really want to know more about psychology, I always recommend you go check the show notes because there'll be links to feed your curiosity, if you don't mind me saying. And Great conversation as always, and we're looking forward to what Joe does in his final few semesters here at the University of Michigan with his thesis, thesis research. And so as that starts to get into full swing, you'll be hearing even more about what the specifics of his research and what he may or may not come out of that. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with my good friend, Joe Jakowski. Yeah. Yeah, I like the things that are slowly deteriorating. And you just watch them. <laughs> like being, like bored. getting old? Yeah. I like looking at paint dry. And then worse, I like <laughs> watching paint deteriorate over the course of 30 years. I'm really glad I'm recording this right now because <laughs> I thought about just stopping the recording, but... <laughs> no, you can <gotta>, keep that. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it sums you up pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> watching paint? Not that part of it, just the ridiculous sense of humor. I don't know what's ridiculous about it at all. It seems perfectly rational. <laughs> it's, it's a perfectly normal hobby. Yeah. Why would I want new and exciting things when I can have... Old and boring? Yeah. Nice and predictable. <laughs> Nothing to see here, folks. I'm, like, picturing just, like, old Western grandpa sitting on his stoop... Rocking back. Yeah. You should have seen this paint when we first got it. It was less flaky. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> wow. <laughs> Such an enlightening conversation, Grandpa Happy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, Jesus. I'm full of lots of little nuggets of wisdom just like that. <laughs> most boring human that's ever existed. <laughs> the most Midwestern person ever. It's like worse than that. I don't even know what it is. Just. It's the opposite of the most interesting man. Yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> it's a different old guy with a beard, but he's just the fucking worst. Yeah. He wears suspenders. Yeah, and he looks like if you were to, like, breathe, like, the gust of wind would be too hard. He would just disintegrate. Kind of topple over her. Yeah. He just so old. <laughs> yeah, he get Thanos snapped. Yeah, exactly like that. Just oh, this weather is now. Oh, Jesus, a breeze. <laughs> <laughs> he flies. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye, Grandpa. There he goes again. Oh, <laughs> again. <laughs> oh, get me down. Oh. I'm stuck in the tree. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Uh, and this is a standard Joe warm-up conversation when he's tired. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so this is kind of one of those times to recap, I don't know, I guess the summer a little bit, because you could talk about Boston oh, and stuff God. like that. Went to Boston. Uh, Maybe. I'll talk about the professional side of it. Right, we, yeah. We went to, um, let me think, where does that story begin? It begins earlier in the summer when I got an email about going to a leadership summit in Boston for the Student Veterans of America. And I'm the secretary at UM there, volunteer chair. So I was like, that should be a good idea. But then I was like, well, I got to pay for stuff. I have to pay for transportation. I'd have to pay for a hotel, all that. Yeah. And like, that, getting there is half the battle because of, or it's like three quarters of the battle just because of how expensive all that is. Yeah, so I was like, okay, I'm not going to go. But I've been doing landscaping work and just building basically a couple of retaining walls and clearing out some uh, very wooded areas mm -hmm. for a friend. And I was working with my buddy Steven, who was involved in the SVA uh, as a member. He's not a, He doesn't hold any chair positions or anything, but he could, and I... I think he's thinking about running for VP um, nice. next year. But we've been working together on this landscaping stuff, and we were just chilling after work one day, and he mentioned that he was going to go, or he was going to go talk to the veterans rep for the university because they have a whole bunch of money, and mm -hmm. they some they like will sponsor people and use like a scholarship, or mm -hmm. they help they provide food for us at our meetings. So things like that. So he's like, I'm gonna see if they'll fund us, like give us or give us X number of dollars, and then we'll fund the rest. Mm -hmm. And we're like, oh, that'd be cool. And it's like, well, if I can get funding, I'd go. So like on a whim, I was just like, I don't know, drop my name too and say that I want to go too. And we were thinking maybe we get 500 bucks, yeah, in between the three of us, and then we use that for like the hotel and then or the flights, and then we'd be okay. And we could just pay for the hotel ourselves or something. Mm -hmm. Turns out they were more than willing to give us money. Um, they paid for the flight. They paid for food. They'll pay for the hotel, like Holy everything. Crap. So we were covered, covered, which is great because I was like on a whim. Like I had just decided to do this thing. And then suddenly, like two days later, Oof. I'm like, I guess I'm going to Boston. <laughs> I was like, oh, <laughs> I had no plans to travel. And you were there like year. four days? Something like that? Four or five days? Five. 
five days. That's a, I mean, that's decent. Yeah. You know? I mean, the fifth day was like, you know, wake up and go to the airport. Naturally. Yeah. But, yeah, five days. So we went to, um, <coughs> they said it was in Boston, but it was really in Tewksbury, which is like north. Like, okay. Like 45 minutes north of there, I think. I think mm-hmm. So it wasn't really Boston. It was like boonies. Yeah. Um, but the reason it was out there was because Raytheon has a headquarters there. And, and they, they host. They were the hosts. Yeah. So we were at Raytheon uh, doing this whole leadership summit thing. So we, the first day was basically just socializing. It was like you show up and then there was like, it was like a little cocktail party. Mm-hmm. You showed up to a country club that was there and got drinks. They had an open bar and they had like snack food, but it was like really good snack food, like really good. Like they had like Reuben sliders. And Whoa. a whole bunch of like other shit, like bruschetta and like ton- and a fuck ton of it, like a <laughs> lot, a lot of it, which was perfect because we hadn't eaten at all. So we were like, oh my god, we might leave early just to get food because I'm, mm-hmm. I'm dying, you know. Like, you probably just like landed that day or something, or uh, no, we showed up the day. It was just travel problem. Like we'd woken up, eaten, and then had to like travel there and get the hotel. Yeah, and, and just kind of the way things worked out. We the logistics really day basically. Yeah, and. That evening was just a whole bunch of chilling with people, getting to know everyone. There's some really cool people there. Um, met a woman that works at Harvard. Met um, a bunch of different uh, veterans reps from s- a couple different guys from different schools. One was like Saint Villeneuve, something like that. Saint mm-hmm. Villeneuve. I can't remember the name of the place. Um, but the rep there was really cool. Talked to him. He takes his guys every year on a like it's a Catholic school, but they take them on a they go to Europe and go on a pilgrimage together. Whoa. So they, like, walk this whole path that's, like, associated with some saint that was a warrior because everybody there is veterans, so, like, they do a little warrior path thing and, like, walk, and mm-hmm. then they have, like, a moment at the end to, like, talk through their stuff, and, like, it's a real bro down, you know, where everybody gets a moment to be real and have a real, like, genuine experience. And I thought that was fascinating. That's so super cool. cool. I was like, damn, that's awesome. You don't hear of stories like that often. No, I not mean. Not really. Not even, like, the travel half of it. Oh, yeah, because, I mean, for one, like, it's a very specific thing to go on a pilgrimage. Mm-hmm. That's true, yeah. It's and very then, religious. Yeah, and it can, I could see it being, like, a secular thing, you know? Like, it's a saint. It's not, like. Right. You know, it's a little different. It doesn't have the same religious half to yeah like i guess it's yeah going to jerusalem and like doing the jesus walk or something right be, it's know? more spiritual i guess than anything else yeah or just an interesting historical thing yeah just to follow in the footsteps yeah of like this dude there was a knight during his time and yeah. all this stuff um so i thought that was really fascinating and they have a school fund that was like what the fuck yeah it's crazy to walk around europe and I was stuff like, like damn that. like what are we doing what's our mm-hmm. what's our veteran rep doing besides <laughs> sending me to boston <laughs> <laughs> Um, so that was really cool. Met a whole bunch of really awesome people. Um, hit it off with them. Had a great night. But the next day was like full day, like eight hours of just nonstop working on leadership stuff. So it was like laying out goals, laying out how you oh, need strategies for that, why you want to do certain things, coming up with a good mission statement for your chapter, a whole bunch of different things. So there's, there's a lot. Um, so that was really interesting. I, I the, it was really motivating, I think, for all of us there. Me, Steven, and Connor were the guys that went. And part of it was just because, like, we could see it coming. Like, we're like, oh, we see what we want to do now. And we see that we can get this done. Like, we, That's we've laid out the steps. Like, it went from, like, fuzzy-ish to, like, yeah. oh, this is what we can actually mold. 
Yeah. Yeah. The, the U of M chapter in two kind of thing. Right. Because you've laid out some of it to me before. My mind was that we needed to cross-pollinate because mm -hmm. we, we're a really successful chapter and one of the founding chapters, if I think we are the founding chapter, actually. Yeah. I believe um, Fred said that, or at least he, he had in his podcast because you'd asked him. Yeah, like 11 or something years ago. Yeah. They founded the Student Veterans of America. Now it's the largest, I think it's the largest student organization in the nation. That's awesome. Um. So, I, but we're, we're insular, insular mm -hmm. not like, not because we are exclusive or anything. If you're not a veteran and you want to come in and be part of the SVA, you can. No, like Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'm perfect. Prime example of that. Like, right. You've come and hung out with everybody. <laughs> and nobody cares. But like, if you were going to Michigan, you could come to our meetings every weekend mm -hmm. or every week. Yeah. And like, do I probably, events. honestly, I probably wind up would just because right. you're there. Right. <laughs> be, you could do it would that. be a no brainer. Right. We're, we're not exclusive. Like, we're, we are a veteran centered community. But we're not just veterans. So right. with spouses, we've got um, mm -hmm. there's one a woman who comes around, great cook. God, she loves to cook too. <laughs> Brings great food to like the tailgates <laughs> and stuff. Yeah. But she was dating a guy that was in the SVA. Mm -hmm. And then after they broke up, she loved the SVA so much, she just kept hanging around. <laughs> That's so cool. Right. So you have people like that. But the thing is... <clears throat> We're still kind of contained within our own little community, mm -hmm. and that's good for some things and not good for other things. It's nice because we kind of everybody gets to know each other. It's a small group. It's tight knit then, at the, at right. the very least. Yeah, it can be tight knit. Um, but the other end is that it's not as when we had more people. Like when I first showed up, I showed up at the tail end of like all the people that were from the surge. So it was a really big group, the SVA. Oh, okay. You have all these veterans that are getting out right. because of the surge. Because different branches, or not branches, but like when a whole bunch of people get out, they'll get in, get right. in at the same time, leave at the same time. Exactly. And then go to school at the same time. Yeah. So you have all these people that came in as part of being recruited for the surge into Iraq, mm -hmm. which would include myself. I was on the tail end of it. And then that whole wave of people all goes through their four years, their standard contract, and a whole bunch of them get out, and then a whole bunch of them go to school, and then a whole mm -hmm. bunch of them end up at Michigan, and we had a really big group at the time. Now a lot of those people are gone, so we have a smaller group. So the social sphere isn't as large now. So part of what I wanted was to be able to like reach out to other organizations yeah. on campus, so like frats, sororities. Like joint venture, basically. Yeah, or even just like debate club, whatever. It doesn't matter. Yeah. But what we what it would be is we would we want to do joint volunteer opportunities with them because we do a couple of those every t every term. Then we have like our benefit dinner. And we're like my thinking is meet these people, do cool stuff with the community, cool networking opportunity, yeah. right? Like say what you want about uh sororities and frats, but those people will keep in contact with each other and be mm -hmm. have a strong network. Is there studies on that just out of curiosity? Not that I know of. I mean, there probably are, but I don't know. Just, I would just... I'm sure you... I'm, I'm, I guarantee that if you looked up, like, frat sorority in the library... Yeah. Like, I mostly said it so I can go look, look it up. Yeah, yeah I'm sure they're there. Sure for the show notes, because I feel like it would be a thing. But... I know that... Oh, and the only study that comes to mind was that they... Was something about how... If you go through a difficult experience to get into something then you're less likely to leave it, basically. Leave it, and it's under a specific condition. It's something like you leave it, or you're, there's like a loyalty that gets made there because you paid such a high price to get in 
you want to confirm that the thing that you bought was worth the money is a way of thinking about it. Okay. So I heard that in the context of frats because they do stupid hazing. Right. And then once everybody's been hazed and they're in, they're like, well, this is totally worth it. Because if it wasn't worth it, then they're going to have to deal with that. And they don't want to deal with it. That's the only thing I got on them. But say what you want about them. They have a great network. So we're like, why don't we, like, provide them our network? And they provide us their network. And then everybody gets networked. Right. And we can know people from all across the campus, not just in our little sphere. And build relationships, professional relationships. It just brings the whole everything together. Right. Basically. Like, there's well, it's just cool. Yeah, exactly. Why wouldn't I want to go and meet a bunch of new people? Or do a volunteer op for them. Especially if the volunteer opportunity is for, like, our veteran, the community of veterans in Ann Arbor. Right. And we're we're serving them, you know, soup or something at the soup kitchen. Why wouldn't we want to get more people to join us? Right, because the more hands you have, the better. The better, right, exactly. The more good work we can do. (laughs) So that's kind of what we really focused on. And then just, like, some other dry technical stuff. Right. That was, like, the big thing that we really got out of boston i think was professionally was that that's cool otherwise it was just a blast (laughs) yeah i mean you've talked about this that whole thing and it's really cool that you're able to like the theme that kind of comes up to me is like sometimes you just got to ask especially when you're part of you know organizations that have funding money but a lot of times people don't know it exists because like well they're not going to pay for me right it's like not even an idea yeah like they just know they just already section it off and say well it's not in my cards so it might not even be in their like concept you know they might be thinking, companies don't just give people money to go do things but they might but they do <laughs> like legitimately they do and i mean obviously it depends on a lot of factors but if you can make a case for it yeah it depends on it depends on who you are work hard what it is yeah but, but still i think it still just goes to show that sometimes if you just ask you shall receive. <laughs> yeah, seriously. And there's a lot of weird moments. Like I've gotten, like I got into the students tackling advanced research program on a whim. Like, yeah, I, just, I remember you saying that when you first got in. I remember getting an email or something, or I remember, here's what I remember. I remember being in my behavioral neuroscience class and a rep from them showed up, one of the graduate students showed up to just kind of make an announcement about it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, God, Jesus, she is attractive. <laughs> and that's what I remember. And then when I got an email about it, that like I remember that she talked about it. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to apply. Why not? Like, this is, it's kind of weird because it's, it's catered to underrepresented groups. And I was like, I'm not going to get into this because, because, right. like, I'm a white male right. in Michigan. You're, like, and okay. you're also middle class, like the yeah. whole. <laughs> yeah, yeah. White dude. Like, they don't, yeah, definitely not for that. But I think the veteran card worked and um, put, put in for it and then just found out I had gotten in. And I was like, it was just totally winging it. I mean, I, I got into Michigan winging it. I mean, that's like the story <laughs> of your life in the last, like, post-military. It has just been, I don't know what I'm doing, but it's going all right. <laughs> hey, I keep going. That's all I'm going to say. Just keep going because yeah. it seems to be working out for you. So, I mean, this, that's how I got my thesis. <laughs> it was the same thing. I went to, I went to office hours and we were talking about stuff and I was like going over concepts and like, like, Oh, like, and I had an idea for some kind of research and just off the cuff, I was like, I should, 
I should do like a thesis on this. That'd be cool. Mm-hmm. Or maybe I could do a thesis. And the professor just kind of like took note of that. And a couple weeks later, sent me an email that said, hey, in office hours, I know that you talked about potentially doing a thesis. If you want to talk more about it, I can set up a meeting. We can meet up and talk, like, <laughs> figure out if you want to do one. And I was like, okay, <laughs> sure. So <laughs> then I go meet with her and we end up getting a really good conversation about ideas of what, what can work. Mm-hmm. And then it comes up to, we start talking about like expressive writing research. And then we start, uh, which is just a coincidence that, that. And that's like become like one of your focus, this expressive writing stuff. Yeah. I mean, part of the reason it's become my focus is because of this thesis. You know? Okay. Got it. But I had heard about it because I had listened to a podcast with Jordan Peterson and James Pennebaker. And Pennebaker is the guy who coined these. I feel like I've listened to that. Yeah. He's the Pennebaker paradigm. He's the one that made the paradigm of these writing programs. Like, oh, wow. Okay. Like discovered that these things have value. They can actually have far-reaching effects. Yeah, exactly. And then measured it and did great science on it and all that. So that just came up in conversation. And on a whim, like in the conversation, I mentioned Pennebaker and that. And she goes, oh, yeah, I know exactly what that is. And turns out she w- had done writing analysis work, looking for generic. Who U. is this? Uh, Susan Gelman, Professor Susan, Susan Gelman at Michigan. She's a developmental psychologist. Um, so she had done work on language analysis on generic U, which is like, so not. You've measured this, or you've mentioned this before when you start first started scratching the surface. Of yeah, so it's not you. You, Eric Wenzel, personal, individual you. Yeah. It's that you're talking generically. You go to the movies and you buy popcorn. Yeah. Or when you go to the movies, you buy popcorn. Or like saying, like telling a story. Right. It, it's just using you as some random person. Mm-hmm. Like X does this. Yeah. You know? So instead of X, it's you did this. Right. And the more, when somebody talks about negative life experiences, the more psychologically distanced they are. And more, the more meaning that they make or try to make when writing about that experience, the mm-hmm. more they use generic you. Because they're kind of stepping outside of it yeah. and looking at it. They're from, able to look at it from like... Right, an aerial view. Mm-hmm. So they use not they don't talk about themselves anymore. They talk about what you, generic you, would do in that situation or what lessons you would learn mm-hmm. or whatever it is. So they're trying to understand and make sense of what happened. Yeah. And then they end up using generic you, which then in, it's like so they make meaning, use generic you, and that's linked to emotional dis- or psychological distance and emotional regulation. Okay, so it is externalizing the experience, basically. Yeah, it's it's kind of like, how do you even say it? They're coming up with lessons, it looks mm-hmm. like to me. They, lessons about what happens or what had happened in that situation. Yeah. It, it reminds me of stuff that I've worked through myself where it's like you... Once you finally work through whatever it is, good or bad, it's like you can kind of look at the that experience and be able to, instead of being like, I had that happen to me, it's like, oh, I could see how this could affect someone. You used way. generic you twice when you're using that explanation. <laughs> <laughs> so you can, t- I can tell that you have a psychological distance from whatever it is that you're thinking about. In your in formulation, reference, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, because I, I went back there. Like, there's thoughts and experiences that I was going back to, and to, then right to pull <laughs> that information from. Yeah, yeah. And you're distant enough that you started thinking generically. Yeah, 
So that's what we're measuring. <laughs> and it was on a whim that that came up in our conversation. And oh, that was just like a side, was, side I note? Like, I don't know if Anna Baker did something with this. There's a guy at, at Austin, uh, Penna Baker. He wrote a different book. She goes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we start talking about it. And then only after like we, the ball is rolling, then she mentions that she's done stuff like that before. Uh-huh. We're like, what? And then I mentioned that I'm part of the – I'm like, oh, that's interesting. She told me the whole generic you thing. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then – I was like, I wonder if there's any difference between that we can measure between like veteran communities and and the students that she had used as her oh. sample, right? So your standard. So you correlate her her sample We're gonna set. We're going to compare it, so I can get her. I ha- I'll have her data, so I'll yeah. be able to look at compare both. And then that's, that's going to be gonna fascinating. Do. That's part of what we're going to do. But yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting. So that's it. Was just on a whim. It was just totally like, eh. and now my thesis just got approved. So, and I'm in, uh, because it's an honors thesis, I got accepted into the honors program there. So is that get, just because of grade point average and stuff like that? And like yeah, what you've you have been to doing? Main, yeah, you have to maintain. There's a couple of things you have to maintain a 3.4 or higher, mm-hmm. and you have to present your thesis at something at the end of the. the yeah, year. it's instead of just probably doing it with your the department or advisors. Yeah, you're in front I make of like a poster board and talk about it. Or yeah. Present. Probably in front of like more, multiple departments or yeah. in front of everybody. Well, it'll probably be, if I understand it correctly, it's that everybody that's doing a thesis shows up to this event and yeah. then they're all like have stations and you can. Oh, okay. Right? So everybody's kind of showing off what they did at the end of the year. Yeah. Which it looks good. And so it's like a design fair kind of thing where yeah, kind of everyone has their own little thing. I hope that I'll get to walk around and bullshit people. Yeah. I mean, be like, more oh, networking. What did you do? Yeah. But I'm just curious. I'd be like walking around to see what other that would be cool. students yeah. have done research on that year. <clears throat> which will be neat. And, um, yeah, so that happened. I just got it approved. I'll have my own, <clears throat> I'll have a special advisor, an mm-hmm. honors advisor that I can oh, go wow. to instead of the normal one. I yeah, just your standard advisor, whatever that is. <laughs> I don't really know what the difference is going to yeah, be. Yeah, I don't now. know. <laughs> like, you're going to do what? What are you going to tell me that's going to be different from what the other person told me? When I think of honors, I think of, like, knights or something. Honors. That'd be <laughs> so much cooler. There's, like, a special room, and there's, like, a round table. <laughs> I like that. See, that? Then I would be stoked. Then I'd be like, fuck yeah. You're like, but now I'm just kind of like, I have to maintain 3.4? You're like, oh, now I'm more stressed out, yeah. god damn it. <laughs> yeah, because I've got that fire behind my ass now. Yeah. I mean, Joe, come on. I'll be fine. You always have a fire behind your ass. Yeah, but. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, it, there's no, like, as long as I've known you, there's literally no way that you, you're going to let it slip. No. There's literally, like, zero chance. No, I just, the only thing I'm worried about is senior year Japanese, or my last term Japanese, yeah. where I can't take it past fail anymore, which is like, oh, I hate that rule so much. Yeah. I mean, that's rough. Any language is rough, especially something like Japanese or any of the Eastern languages where it's just so different than yeah. what we're all used to that it's just like. it Yeah, just totally structured different. Yeah. It's bizarre. Throwing yourself in the deep end, basically. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I probably should have just taken Spanish, but whatever. Whatever. I mean, you're, you're obviously getting more out of it, though, because when you're taking something that you actually give a shit about a little bit. No, I, I think Spanish is interesting, too. So. I mean, they're all interesting in their own right, but you've always been fascinated by Jap- yeah, I, Japanese and I wanted, and culture. Yeah, I want to go back. I'm going back in 2021. Mm-hmm. So help me God. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so I'm going back and be able to speak some actual Japanese. It would be nice. Yeah, I mean, it help, it'll help you disconnect with, yeah, with the culture the, more. Yeah, with the people. 
you know, at least you can say like, hi, thank you. Or, um, ask for directions. I can maybe. order food properly. That, that was like, uh, there's definitely a couple of times where that got confusing. Really? Yeah. Cause I wanted a lot of coffee and I didn't know how to say like, just give me two coffees. Yeah. So was, the woman was just like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> like, there was definitely a moment in Kyoto at the train station. We were getting udon. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I want some, I want some coffee. But now I know. Yeah. Tu kohi kudasai. That's interesting. Or ni, ni kohi kudasai. It's, it's so interesting to me, like, because coffee is obviously like an English word or an English adapted word. And yeah. then they had to adapt it to their... <clears throat> it's cool because it's like, you can see... Is it see, phonetic structure? Is that... You can see... What do you mean phonetic structure? Because kohi instead of coffee. So oh, it's like... It, or is that just their way of verbalizing it? It's just a Japanese accent. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same. Yeah. You could tell what words were... What things were imported into yeah. the culture because the words for them will be the same. Mm-hmm. Like coffee is kohi, but it just has a Japanese accent. Yeah. It's cool. I'm like, oh, oh, I get it. Yeah. So you guys don't naturally have coffee in Japan, but you, some, you know, English dude actually whoa. showed up and was like, try this black bean. It's delicious. And then they're like, what the fuck is it? And he's like, coffee. And then that's like, super interesting. And then that's what it is. Because so you, like they grew up with tea, right? Like that yeah. entire cult. Like, it's all tea. They right? grew up I'm using the cultural day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, that sounds weird. Let me yeah, back up. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, that whole area was all about tea. And, and they didn't have coffee. And so, they, yeah, oh, that's super interesting. It just didn't exist there. So they didn't have a word for it. Yeah. So when they were presented with this new thing and they asked what was this new thing, they were told coffee. And so they just enunciated it their way, and that just became the word. Yep. <laughs> that's <laughs> there's lots, cool. There's lots of examples of that. Like, it's, it's interesting to me, too, like, looking at, like, specifically Japanese and the ceremonial aspects of it. Because I finally just tried a matcha tea. I bought a from a company that makes it. They do like this distillation process to make it like crystallized. So rather than having raw leaves, it's hmm. basically you don't need to worry about steeping as much. Right. Uh, you can just put it in hot and cold water, and then it's done. Ta-da! Hmm. Um, but they the way they source their matcha is like a fifteenth degree tea, uh, tea master in like southern Japan, like off an island. Like it's really like far away and. Like right. there's like no toxins in it, and it's just there's just so much delicacy that goes into the legacy of, of certain things in J- like places like Japan where they just have this, I guess tradition. They're like they're so very, traditioned. They are ve- yeah, they are a very very conservative culture, mm-hmm. and they conserve their traditions. Yeah, and then they just master them. They just keep doing the traditional thing. Yeah. better and better and better and better until it becomes an art. Yeah, it's like it's unbelievable. I mean, it's interesting. Like, it, it kind of goes back to the history aspect of that too, where when they finally came out and like were able to rebuild post World War II, and they, you know, because we felt bad as a as a country for what had happened, we helped them rebuild. Yeah, a lot of their industry, but then they kind of saw what we were doing, and they were like, "Oh, yeah, we can do this better." Yeah, that's and they like did that, like really, like took it to a whole new level. Like, yeah, they're it's industrious. It's a yeah, like it's a conscientious, conservative, industrious culture. Yeah, and so you just—they just took that shit and ran with it. I mean, our and entire like their quality systems are like built off of they, what they built, basically. The, yeah, the opportunity we, to just restart the whole thing. Yeah, and make it better. It's super interesting to me where they with that just whole idea of like continuous improvement and like just like 
making everything a system that's like, here's a box and it's like, let's take this and continue like, look at it and like, okay, it's working good, but let's make it better. Yeah. Like they don't ever stop at good enough. <laughs> yeah, no, that doesn't. It's really interesting to me. Yeah. It, speaking generally about the culture that doesn't exist in some sense. Hmm. Now, obviously there's, you know, individuals. There's gradients right. across there's, everything. Yeah, right. <laughs> these are individual people. Yeah. Not just some homogenous culture. Yeah. You know, but um, I don't know. It's interesting. I really loved Japan. I thought it was awesome. I, I really, really enjoyed going. Mm -hmm. I, did it Did it live up to the hype for you? I mean, obviously it did if you want to go back. But yeah, totally. I mean, it, it was, did. It's always been one of those things. Like, even if I remember, shit, when you got into anime, probably around like... Oh seventh grade or so like forever ago you'd always kind of connected to the culture yeah. to some degree and i know your dad had gone there yeah. for business and things like that but like it was it was interesting because part of what i, I loved about japan was it was so foreign mm -hmm. like when i went to england it oh london just kind of felt like an american city it didn't really? feel all that different like that's interesting. It's just kind of straightforward. I'm like, this is pretty. I'm like, this doesn't feel all that. I didn't really feel like I was on the other side of the world. Yeah, but like I did with Bahrain, I definitely felt in a different world there. Well, that's but on, home, on multiple layers of that. Yeah, <laughs> but in Japan, everything is. So, it really feels like you are in a different world mm -hmm. because it's just so totally different from anything. Like here. the dressing is so different and. Not necessarily. Well, maybe not. It's, pretty, it's really I said, Western. Yeah, I said it, and then I'm like, well, maybe not, because if you're in a business area, in most Tokyo is like suits and stuff like yeah, that, or right. whatever. Tokyo is pretty Westernized, but only as Westernized as, in some senses, it can be, or they're willing to let it be. Mm -hmm. So people wear suits and everything. That's right. fine. Whatever. It's business. But there's shrines everywhere, mm -hmm. and Japan is a really high, like agnostic atheist um, population. Really. But almost everyone participates in, like, the spiritual stuff. Even it's, though they don't... Right, so you'll have, like, diehard atheists that will go to the shrines and, like, throw in a coin and, like, do the, like, prayer rituals and everything. Because That's it's just, really cool, actually. Yeah, it's like everyone participates in it. Like, everybody... It's like a respect, basically. Right, it's like, you're... It's part of your culture, part of what formed this nation mm -hmm. and you as an individual... So people kind of go in and engage with it. Wow. They, even if they don't believe it, it's mm -hmm. it's the act of doing it is something like, it'd be like, how would you say? It's like going to a f foreign country and not trying their food. Yeah. You know, he's like, you're missing out. Like that's a big part of. Right. You're like losing out half of the culture. Then. Right. You're missing <laughs> out on that. So they, it's like they're going, they're participating in their own culture. Even. I like that. I like it a lot. I think it's really cool. And I think it kind of unifies yeah. in some way. Like everybody has that common ground. Exactly. Even if it's not really necessarily a belief or anything. But they participate. They understand. They have the this little superstitious stuff. Mm -hmm. But nobody takes it so seriously. I mean, people definitely are there that really believe it. Right. Of course. But there's a certain number of – there's just a certain number of people that are willing to play the game and have fun and enjoy it. Yeah, and it just makes me think of all the things that like we choose to disagree on in in our country. That if people just chose to respect, like at the very least, right, just respect the other's viewpoint, it would diffuse a lot of the tension, I guess. 
I want almost was said hostility, but I don't think hostility. I think hostility might be too strong. Yeah. But it just like if you just come at it with a, a sense of respect, like okay, maybe I don't agree with you, or you know, it doesn't impact me as much as it impacts you. But I could see how, or at least I'm going to play like explain to me why it impacts you that much. Yeah, it'd be like, no, I don't know. I I, I think that we could learn from that Mm -hmm. we can learn like in america in the western culture that just because you don't believe in this religion that really genuinely did form the west Mm -hmm. you can still participate and enjoy the ritual for Mm -hmm. the ritual's sake or get to understand it and maybe just be fascinated with it as like an art form right as a story or whatever it is i find it fascinating as a story it was i mean as a growing up you know for Full disclosure, I was Catholic uh, basically forever. And I did all the stuff I've confirmed and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But even as a little kid, I remember taking, you know, Saturday school and stuff like that. And just kind of doing that on Saturdays and then kind of just being around it and be like, I feel like I understand like a moral framework at a different level than the average, like, you know, eight-year-old or ten-year-old or whatever Mm -hmm. we were back then. And that's kind of what I really got out of it. Rather, rather you believe, the, you know, the stories and stuff, you know, for all intents and purposes, myth. Um, <clears throat> you don't have to believe the story to get something out of it. Yeah. Like, I don't, I can read the Brothers Karamazov and get something out of there and know full well that it's a fictional book. Right, exactly. Right? So I, why not, I think that's part of what's good about religion is that it has all these stories that point out moral moral lessons mm-hmm. and you can tell them to kids. Like if you just, if I try to explain to a kid why they should be good, like in some rational way, that can be, it's never going to work. They're not going to listen. No. <laughs> they can be bored, <clears throat> not caring, and then not listen. Right. It's going to be like that intro to this podcast about watching paint dry. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I find like the, the reason certain stories exist, you know, even across culture, like the good Samaritan story mm-hmm. is because there's like, there is just a f- seed of an ideal, right? To some degree. Of what, c- how good can things get? Right. I mean, it gets it in the whole Petersonian, like, right. union thing. I don't know if I want to go there. <laughs> it's okay. It's just cognitively demanding and I'm tired. <laughs> but, yeah, I don't know. I think that part of what I liked about Japan was that there was all this culture everywhere that people participated in and we were welcomed to participate in that's the other thing is they're very welcoming Hmm. of foreigners so okay probably not if you live there apparently it can be brutal people really yeah there's a lot of prejudice against like foreigners that live there but if if you're a tourist they're usually really um polite Mm -hmm. and they kind of want to get you to participate in everything like the woman that i bought the kimono from was super like pumped and yeah and yeah she was like she's like this is great yay the idea of the concept of cultural appropriation just would not f- work there yeah they wouldn't they wouldn't buy it yeah they would just be like why what do you mean everybody i'm giving this pe- these people my culture because i'm proud of it why i'm sharing it with them why are you right? telling me That's yeah kind of the, how they would look at it yeah they wouldn't like this idea of every culture in its own little bubble that has a right to its own culture and you don't have a right to Mm -hmm. it. It's like cultures grow when they come into contact with each other. Right. They learn from each other, but they only learn from each other if you're willing to let them like cross pollinate. Yeah. You're willing to let them share ideas, 
move and try new things. And that's how you learn about other people and mm -hmm. get empathy for people that aren't like you is yeah. going and participating in the culture. So I found it. It reminds me of, uh, I was just listening to a podcast and they're talking about like indigenous peoples and how now people are kind of worried about certain derogatory words like Eskimo. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was Steven Ronella he was talking about and he, he had met a guy who's, he's like this Eskimo dude. And he, he was talking about, he's like, what else would you call me? He's like, I am an, like, that's who, uh, that's what group I belong to. Right, so, so for him, like the idea of like using it as a derogatory word is like, no, it just, it's a part of his identity. We're problematizing everything. I know. And I thought that was interesting. I'm like, wow, that's weird. You know what I mean? Like when you, when you look at it from like, you know, the thousand foot view of being here in the West and everyone's bubbled and you kind of, people are like, oh no, you're, you're using the word against them because that's like, you know, derogatory There's word an and all the history. Yeah. It's, it's really assumptive. It's, it's stupid. It's. There, it's a, one more stupid fucking power game dynamic. <laughs> it's the same boring ideological crap. Mm -hmm. It's white people say this, white people are... Or did The this. majority, and yeah. the majority is oppressive to the marginal, and the marginal are all in the right. And so it's like anything that anybody who they consider is in power, mm -hmm. and it's group, not an individual. So you could be a poor white dude who is barely getting by, but because you're male, because you're white, those are two groups that are historically in the, in their conception, historically the power position, the, right in a position of power. Yeah. So they're always getting power by usurping it from other people. So any, it's like anything that they do call someone an Eskimo is just a tool for stealing more power. Mm -hmm. It's so stupid. It's boring. It's like it's, a one-dimensional worldview. It, yeah, it's seriously one-dimensional. Because like, if, if that's like the only, you know, the only knob you have at which to influence the world or people around you or yeah. whatever it is that you decide it's to It's the crystals at. thing. It's the stupid <laughs> fucking crystals thing. Like, oh, the crystals tell me everything about everything and I can always think of a way to justify why the crystals are involved in predicting mm -hmm. your life and oh, all this woo-woo oh, bullshit. It's the, uh, it's the same thing. You just, you have a conclusion already that power ooh. is the is the dynamic that's period. super interesting I never everything even, is about power you've already made up your mind and now everything that you see is related to power that's super interesting to me because like I, it just it just like clicked as you explained it that way where it's like some people just latch on to a view of the world and it doesn't matter what it is right like yeah. for instance paul stamets has the mushroom mushroom view of the world where everything he sees in the world is how it connects back to how powerful mushroom, yeah, not just psychedelic mushrooms for those. Just, yeah, he's a everything guy, yeah, he's just, like he actual mushroom. Just thinks of mushrooms as like this superpower <laughs> within the world, and it's the same thing for these kind of people. They just have they focused in yeah. onto one aspect of the world. They just cling to one little thing, yeah. and it explains everything. But it's stupid. It's like one step away. It's just like a, a conspiracy theorist. It's one trick, <laughs> it's one trick pony mm -hmm. bullshit. Right? It, it's cheap. It's boring. It makes you pretend that you can. You think you know everything because you've got the answer already. You've yeah. got the answer to everything already. So I don't need to listen. Everybody else is wrong. I already know. I've done I've done the research, right? Yeah. Well, I've looked that. into it. <laughs> and then they, they point at the, the humanities literature, which is, I think it's the average humanities paper has zero citations what yeah nobody cites any of them it's it's a total scheme is this why they they're not good science it's all trash 
Is this why most of the school systems talk about how the humanities are just garbage, yeah. kind of, as yeah. like a... Now, yeah. I, as a re- academically rigorous field. Yeah. It's all the... It's like <coughs> the studies, the women's yeah. studies, the gender okay. studies. And the, like the social studies, yeah, broadly No, speaking. humanities, sociology. Like, some of this stuff is... It, it spreads out from there. It's mm-hmm. hard to tell which field is bad, and each field is it's different per university, you know. But... As a general rule, it's gotten so out of hand. It's it's not. There's a whole a hoax that was done by um, uh, those research. James Lindsay. Yeah, and I was just about to bring them up because Peter I, Bogosian. Those and guys, one other person. The, whose they, name I can't remember. I can't remember. It's She's a female. Yeah. yeah, they're hilarious, by the way. Yeah, so they did a hoax <laughs> on, the, on those humanities papers. They wrote papers that were basically BS. Mm-hmm. They just knew how to speak the lingo. You know, they they knew they how knew to, the keywords. Right, they knew how to take everything. And put it in a framework of power mm-hmm. and problematize it and make a paper about it. And they published a bunch it's of It's borderline satire. Well, it's not it, borderline satire. It, it is, is satire. Yeah, it is satire. And they got them published. They literally took a section of Mein Kampf and translated it into power. Yeah. They just changed a bunch of words around and used, <laughs> they just talked about Mein Kampf. There's, there's a Rogan podcast where they talk all about this. I'll definitely link it in the show notes. It's a great. It's, it's honestly really worth listening just to understand how ridiculous, like the stories you you hear in it, like I forget which one it was. It was like a homophobic dog thing. Yeah. yeah. It was one of the stories yeah, and they that, basically had like a dog and they brought it to a park. And they said like, that, that owners of dogs stopped them from humping because they were homophobic. Yeah. Something like that. <laughs> I was like, I remember listening to that as someone who's a scientist and an engineer. I was just like, what? Yeah. Like, I just don't understand how, like, the mental gymnastics that, that someone they have has to pull. That someone has to, like, go through to get to the point where it's like, yeah, that seems, like, reasonable. Like, it, it's just so far out of. It's, ideolo- it's just <laughs> ideological possession. They're just totally yeah. possessed by this ide- ideology, and they can't think outside of that box. And everything fits in their box perfectly and explains everything. They couldn't be wrong about anything else. Yeah. So every single situation they see, they just connect it back to power dynamics ultimately. And power dynamics, not even between individuals, but between groups. Ah, between groups. That, so that makes it more interesting. The individual doesn't exist in yeah. the framework. It doesn't matter. If you're part of that group and that group is powerful or not powerful in their view, Yeah, then that's it. That's, that's super. Where you're at. You know, this reminds me of the conversation we're having about, like, symbology within cultures mm-hmm. with, like, the Queen of England, right? So where she, yeah. like, if you got to know her as a person, the the entire thing falls out the bottom. Right, because she, she, the Queen of England isn't, isn't a person. It is a, rep, the Queen of England is a symbol, a representation of England embodied yeah. in the Queen. That's what the Queen of England is. She is symbolic. But the person has to live up to that fills that role there's yep. an individual that plays the role of a symbol so and people do this all the time like all the time it, you can see we use symbols in some sense as a like concept as a way of thinking about things but if you go up to imagine you're at a bar and you see someone who's incredibly attractive mm-hmm. you're not seeing that person in that moment maybe you're nervous about approaching them whatever it is and you're trying mm-hmm. to talk you're seeing a representation of the ideal man or woman in front of you. What that person could be, all the potential, mm-hmm. right? You're not seeing a human being. You're not until you have gotten to know them well enough to break free of the symbol of your conception of what that person is, 
And then you f- then you begin to understand them as an individual instead of as some symbolic representation. Like the infatuation, basically. Right. Yeah. Or like, I mean, uh, this definitely, I'm trying to think of another example. This has happened to me in a negative way. I knew a woman that was very, very uh, disagreeable without getting the whole story. Yeah. Um, to me, and it was totally unjustified, and she... She didn't see, and she was very, like, verbally abusive, really, really, it was a whole, it was a really long story and a long night, but this woman didn't see me, she saw all bad men Mm -hmm. compiled, compounded into a singular symbol, and then that symbol projected onto me. Yeah. So I was a representation of all the assholes she's ever met. Right. So she was just coming after me, like... For something and like for shit, I didn't even do <laughs> right. <laughs> so so it was just like people do this. People just do this all the time. Yeah. So we think symbolically beneath our language and beneath everything. Actually, our language is predicated on symbolism. So yeah, you can't. You have to have a it's just, common symbology to be able to. It's auditory interact. symbols. Yeah. This like that's what semantics is. Is that this that sound this represents something? Yeah. If it didn't, then. You couldn't communicate it. You wouldn't be communicating anything. <laughs> right. Like It's like you have two different, like, if you're trying to be like a code cracker or something, it's like you both of you are using two different ways to decipher it, and yeah. you're trying to just, you know, connect, yeah. and it's never going to work because if you're <laughs> using different codes, it doesn't matter. Yeah. But Interesting. Yeah, the Queen of England is a is a representation of England and not a person. Yeah. It's a, I mean, I'm trying to think of how that connects back specifically to that like power dynamic stuff because if the individual doesn't exist and all it is is just symbols or yeah, groups. You're a group. Yeah. And that's it. You you don't exist as a person in a group. No, you're just part – you're just the group. You're part of the group. And you only ever advocate for power for your own group. Hmm. Which is ridiculous. There's not even truth in there. It sounds it sounds dangerous in the sense that it doesn't leave any room for the individual to self-actualize or like even be able to hold themselves to any standard. Yeah. Or anything. Like it's no. Yeah, you can't. You don't. Yes. You, you. There's no moral growth here, because once you've committed the original sin of being in the power group, that that's it. You don't grow as a person. You just you are just forever a puppet of your group's constant and unavoidable search for power. And and it's a zero sum game too. So it's not even like you're searching for power independent of other people. Mm-hmm. It's that whatever power you get, you get at the cost of other groups attaining power. Yeah, it's so. There's so much wrong with it, it's almost unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> and yet, people believe it. Yeah. So, to, to move off of this, like, kind of depressing note, <laughs> um, I would say that, like, a couple years ago, that felt way more, like, in doomish <laughs> than it did. And it seems to be shifting away from this sort of ideology so. lately. Um, but in your own way, how do you think this is changing? Or do you see a way out of it or a way to, to connect to people who maybe believe this way and might be open to. It depends on how far gone they are. Like right. If they've made up their mind and they're zealous about this, right. I don't think you can convince them. Like 
any more than you could. It's like a witch hunt. Like it doesn't. Yeah. Right. Any more than you can convince like a fundamentalist Christian, you know, right. like the real, the, the dinosaurs were put here as like <laughs> a test of faith kind of Christian. You, you're yeah. not going to convince that person. They will do, they will bend themselves backwards to just continuously prove they've already got their, right, yeah, you know? they already have their backbone and they're not going to yeah, they, move off of that pedestal. Yeah. They've got it. They figured it out. Um, so that person you can't really talk to and it's just a waste of time. Yeah. Um, the person that's a reasonable individual who has maybe learned some of this stuff in their anthro class or mm-hmm. their sociology class, and then and they haven't heard anything other than Foucault. And yeah. So they just or just know. headlines of stuff, and they right, and they haven't been taught. They they've been taught by ideological professors that are not that are maleducated, and but the reasonable pers- reasonable person will listen, and you can explain why that's wrong or give an alternative Mm -hmm. and they'll be like, Oh, I haven't thought about that. So really I think it's just having conversations with people. I think that's the way out of this, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, I I would, I wouldn't, uh, I completely agree. I mean, that's kind of why this, even this podcast exists is just being able to talk about these, you know, the rhetoric basically and be like, let's, let's not just go the headline depth and just talk about what, what actually might happen here or what is actually might go on or, and see if we can meet it in the middle ground, right? Yeah. At the very least. I mean, you got to know what you're talking about, too. You can't yeah. just, like, say, no. you got to have, like, your arguments Of in course. Order <laughs> and your own beliefs in order. And it's not like you have to throw out power dynamics. It's, yeah. it's always, There are power dynamics. I mean, they here. exist, for sure. Right? People try to one-up each other all the time. That, okay, mm-hmm. fine. But that doesn't mean that's all that there is. I mean, like, one of the most bought books ever is, like, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Stephen Covey. Like, <laughs> and it, yeah. And it, <laughs> And it doesn't, it doesn't really, how do you say this? It doesn't really matter so much if, uh, no, I lost my train of thought. I had something. I don't know. <laughs> this is why I need more food. Yeah, you do. <laughs> Well, we're almost at an hour, so okay. I think you can wrap up with because uh, you're about to head back to school. Like by the oh, time yeah. by the time this one goes live, you'll be back in school, back in the swing of things. So kind of give a little bit of preface of like what you What's either excited on? for school or what. Well, the SBA stuff that I talked about, I'm excited for what we're looking for. To sure, do. yeah, that's exciting. Starting on the thesis will be exciting. Um, Japanese less exciting. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> trepidation on that one maybe uh, God. I've forgotten so much over the summer it's so bad do, do they have uh, Japanese on Duolingo the app yes do they okay uh, what else I have ooh I, I'm doing political philosophy ooh that'll be fun we're doing everybody like John Stuart Mill Marx oh Mill is so good it'll be cool I have uh, one of the books from the Heterodox Academy from Jonathan Haidt mm-hmm. where he did the uh, illustrated um I think it's on freedom or on liberty. I think mm-hmm. it's it's like just an excerpt from one of his things. It's and they did kind of like new, like updated graphics to kind of represent what he was getting at mm-hmm. in, in the paper. I'll have to show it to you before this, and I'll link to it cool. for those people who are interested in it because I think it's a, I think stuff like that is really interesting for me because like I'm not a super big into the politics stuff, yeah. but when you can kind of update it or at least re-reference it to kind of package it in a way that connects to a broader audience like this one does. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jonathan Haidt is just kind of a genius anyways. Right. Um, yeah, it'll be, so that'll be cool. Yeah. And 
other than that, it's it's literally thesis, Japanese, political, uh, philosophy, and then I'm taking a one credit course on aliens. No way. <laughs> <laughs> of all the, of all the things you get to take yeah. a course on, yeah, because yeah. <laughs> I I need one more credit for natural science because I transferred in with credits and stuff, so yeah. it's just all over the place. So I need one natural science credit, and Dude. I'm like, bruh. Can we yeah. just get like totally wasted and just talk about aliens after Dude, this I class? Would, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> just like just go deep as fuck. It'll be fun. That's so gonna be I'm, great. I'm happy for that one. That should be a nice little, I don't know, like fun decompression class. Yeah. Dope. It'll be the only class I've taken in Michigan that's just kind of for stupid shits and gigs. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so it'll make for it. good stories. That's about it. <laughs> awesome, dude. Well, we're uh, on the way out. You're almost done with school, or at least the first half of school, I guess. Yeah, I'm senior officially. And um, to on to bigger and better things. Yeah, yeah. Peace out, everybody. This was a chill one. I want to take a quick second and talk about how you can support our show. I believe this is the most honest way that I can connect with you, the listener, and put it in front of everyone. You can support our show for as little as 99 cents a month. We release four podcasts a month, all at an average length of about an hour. That means you are supporting us at just 25 cents an hour. That's That's cheaper than the dollar menu. I think it's safe to say that we provide more value than that. And if you learn anything from our content, please consider becoming a supporter today with the link in the description of any episode or on the website at feedingcuriosity.net. And with that, thanks for listening and please enjoy the show. You just listened to an episode of Feeding Curiosity. Thank you all for listening and tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a like, subscribe, go check out the website over at feedingcuriosity.net and all the other things that we're doing there. And once again, thank you all for tuning in and we will see you in the next episode.